You are listening to the Life Church podcast. To learn more about Life Church, our gathering times at any of our central Indiana locations, or our life crew online, visit us at lifechurchin.com or follow the link in the description. Today's talk is from Pastor Derek Lopez. Where we're at in the scripture is David. He is just had, there's just been a big battle with his men and the supporters of Absalom in the nation of Israel. And so what has transpired, it's important we go back for a minute, though, before we talk about what we talked about last week, is David has actually, he, when he was in Jerusalem, the army went to battle. David stayed, and he saw this woman from a rooftop, and he decides, I want her. So he takes her and sleeps with her, She becomes pregnant, and she is the wife of a man named Uriah, one of David's mighty men of valor. Well, David, to cover up this sin, he has Uriah killed. And then the baby is born. David is uh, enjoying life, and Nathan the prophet comes, and he tells David a story about how someone took somebody else's little lamb and had it killed. And David, being a shepherd boy growing up and knowing how, how precious a lamb was, became angry and upset. And he says, this man will surely die. And Nathan the prophet says, you are that man, David. It was you that killed Uriah the Hittite. And David says, David is sorrowful. He mourns. He says, it was me. I did it. I repent. I'm sorry. And Nathan says, you're not going to die, but there's going to be a price to pay. He says, the baby will die, and the sword will never depart from your family. So what happens is David has this chip on his shoulder, if you will. He has this viewpoint of, can he really father the right way? Almost this shame that could have been crippling. We, we could see in his parenting style that, that when his children had sexual, sexual sin, he never corrected it. And so what ends up happening is his son, and it's really sad, his son Amnon ends up desiring to be with his half-sister Tamar and takes her as his own. David does nothing. So then his other son Absalom decides, I'm going to take matters into my own hands, and he kills Amnon. It wasn't his life to take, but he takes it. So David has a second son who is killed at the hands of his own sin. That's what God said would happen. The sword wouldn't depart because you did this thing, David. And so there's a series of events that happens, and Absalom ends up getting all of the nation of Israel behind on his side to overthrow David and take the kingdom for himself. And so what ends up happening is David goes on the run, And right before the battle ensues between the followers of David and the rest of the nation of Israel, David tells his men and commanders, he says, whatever you do, leave my boy alone. He says, spare the the life of the young man Absalom. And it's really something that he couldn't have done because God said in chapter 17 that, that God had decided to bring calamity on Absalom. And he's asking his men 
to go against the, the guy who is actually tearing their nation, their government, the kingdom down. He's saying, hey, on this chessboard, you can take out all the other chess pieces, but leave the king. Leave the one person we take out to have victory. Can you imagine how that frustrating that would have been to the men? So Joab knows this, and he decides when, when Absalom's hanging from a tree to take his life because they can have complete victory, not only the battle be over, but the war be over. Well, David ends up getting news of this, and it says this in verse 33 of chapter 18. It says that the king was shaken, and he went up to his room over the gateway and wept. And he said, Oh, Absalom, my son, my son, Absalom, if only I had died instead of you. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. So he, he goes up where he was waiting was at the, at the gate, and that was a place historically of judgment. It was a place where they'd wait to hear how the battle went. He goes up to a room and he wails about his son. So he's paid three times over and he says, if I would have died instead of you, and I wonder if he's thinking of the words of the prophet, the sword will never depart your home, and how I, David thinking, I should have died, but my sons did instead of me. And who knows, as a parent, you'll die for your kid. We'll do that. We're willing to lay down our life for them because we love our children. So my heart goes out to David. So there's this big battle, and he's upstairs grieving. Verse 19 says, Joab was told the king is weeping and mourning for Absalom. Now, Joab is not a compassionate man. He's not a kind man. He's very ruthless. He takes matters into his own hands. He actually kills for position over and over so that he can be the commander of the army. And so David, he's grieving over the loss of his son. And I wonder if he's thinking about all the memories of the things that have transpired in his life with Absalom. And his, his heart should be with the kingdom and the men, but, but his heart's torn because it's this boy. You know, the other, the other night, Sammy, who's three, he, uh, he got out of bed, woke up Josie. It was around midnight, and went, Josie went and laid on the couch with him. Well, I came out there. And they both have their eyes closed, and I lean down to Sam, and I say, hey, Sam, I love you, buddy. And Sam opens his eyes, and he says, Dad, I love your hair. <laughs> and then Josie starts laughing, and I said, you love my hair? And he said, yeah, it's so big. But I'm sure David had moments like that with his son. Right? Even though Absalom's public enemy number one, he had precious moments with his boy. It's important for us to remember the context of he held his son's hand. He helped guide his son. He played with him. 
He was a part of David's life, a part of who David is, is in Absalom. And so he's flooded with these memories, maybe even thoughts of him failing as a father. If I would have died instead of you, maybe thinking if I would have done this, if I would have done that. Now verse 2 says, and, and for the whole army, the victory that day was turned into mourning because on that day the troops heard it said, the king is grieving for his son. And the men stole into the city that day as men steal who are ashamed when they flee from battle. And the king covered his face and he cried aloud, O Absalom, O Absalom, my son, my son. And so the men, instead of having victory and celebrating, it's, it's like a defeat. It's like how, how the men would have even felt knowing that the king was mourning. And I'm sure in some of their heads, if this is how he acts when we mourn, how is he going to act when we lose? It's not very good for morale. So it says, Job went up to the house to the king and said, Today you have humiliated all of your men who have just saved your lives and the lives of your sons and your daughters and the lives of your wives and concubines. And he says, You love those who hate you and you hate those who love you. You've made it clear today that the commanders and their men mean nothing to you. He says, I see that you would be pleased if Absalom were alive and all of us were dead. So there, I'm sure there were men who died that day, who followed David. They had to fight this rigorous terrain that in, in a wilderness that was very dangerous that actually devoured more people in the battle than the sword devoured that day. And we're all going to mourn. Every single one of us is going to mourn. But what we can learn is that responsibility in mourning is our friend. It's not our enemy. You know, there was this family uh, that I know, and uh, they had a funeral for this father, but there was a problem this father was very, very, very abusive. Did terrible things, held kids' hands over flames of fire, did, did just awful things, kicked kids through screen doors, all, all kinds of abuse that happened in this home. And the man, on top of that, he died of suicide, but he committed suicide to avoid getting in trouble for the abuse that he had done to the children. So, there's an appropriate way to grieve and inappropriate. This was a three-day viewing for this man. There were, they had bands come in to honor this man. The mother, who had adult children, actually would stood at the casket like this, laid on the ground and wailed for attention on the last day, and the fourth day was the funeral. Now, how do you think that the children of that man felt? 
She loved those who hated her, and she hated those who loved her. And it was very shameful. Well, it's the same situation here. Even though it's David's son, David also has a responsibility to his subjects. And they've given their lives up for the king. They actually even said, hey, David, you stay, because if they kill you, they're not going to care about any of us. We can't let you die. We can't let the kingdom come to ruin. And he's basically spat in their face and said, your, your lives don't matter as much as the life of my son. Who is at fault for all of this? When we mourn, it's important that we do not mourn at the expense of those we have responsibility over. It's important that we don't drag on and hurt family members because of our mourning. And we rob ourselves of joy, of the lives of our family being saved, of the lives of, of those that we can enjoy, our grandkids, our children, our friendships. Yes, it's sad. Maybe you ha did have a death in the family recently. I know some of you have. Maybe you've had a business venture go south or a relationship or someone screwed you over. But are you mourning to the point where, where you're complaining to where people don't even want to be around you because all you say is negative? It's important that what has happened to us and what we have lost doesn't define us. It's important that, that our lives are connected with the kingdom and the kingdom's ways to the responsibility we have as believers and for those who are closest to us. So Joab continues, and he's really letting David have it. He's, he's a bold man, ruthless like I said before, but he says, now go out and encourage your men. He says, I swear by the Lord that if you don't go out, not a man will be left with you by nightfall. And he says, this will be worse for you than all the calamities that have, happened, that have come on you from your youth until now. And Joab knows the calamities because he's his relative. So this is going to be worse than the bear and the lion and Goliath and the Philistines and Saul and your son Absalom. He's saying, I'm going to destroy you if you don't go out. And we all need people like that in our life. <laughs> Maybe not to the extent of who Joab was, but we need somebody to say, hey, you got to wake up. You're hurting yourself. And that's why everyone, we need a life group. We need groups of people who would say, hey, you're crazy. Your thinking's off. You have this unforgiveness issue. We need someone who will call us out and be bold and say, you were wrong in that. It hurts. It's not fun, but it can save our life, just like David's life. So verse 9 says, oh, no, verse 8, excuse me, says, So the king got up and took his seat in the gateway, and the men were told, The king is sitting in the gateway, and they came before him. Meanwhile, the Israelites had fled to their homes. So David sitting in the gateway is saying he's back in control, and he's greeting the men. So verse 9 says, throughout, 
the tribes of Israel, all the people were arguing among themselves, saying, The king has delivered us from the hand of our enemies. He is the one who rescued us from the hand of the Philistines. But now he has fled into the country to escape from Absalom. And Absalom, whom we anointed to rule over us, has died in battle. So why do you say nothing about bringing the king back? So there's this argument, we should bring him back. No, we shouldn't. Yes, we should. Here's all the things that he's done. And this is a good reminder for us that crowds are fickle. Just because the majority says it's right doesn't mean it's right. I believe that's why God set up that we're not a democracy but a republic. That we vote for people who represent the people. Because crowds can go crazy. Crowds could decide, let's kill all the Christians. And thank God we have the Constitution of the United States. It's not perfect. But beyond that, that protects us, we have the Word of God. It's not what man says. It's not what judges say. It's not the opinion of people or culture. We have to stand in the truth of the Bible. That's why it's so important that we have a litmus test. And that's why many times those who don't believe that there is even the existence of God, that they just think that all of this is just flesh and it's, it's just matter, that nothing matters, they, they go to calamity because they don't have a guideline. We have to remember that for us as Christians, the Bible is our cornerstone. What that means is the cornerstone is what they would build a building off of, and they'd measure everything to build the building off of the cornerstone. Everything we do in our life is measured off the Bible. It's a good reminder for us. It's not public opinion. It's not people. We follow what Jesus said and what his word says. Verse 11 says, King David sent a message to Zadok and Abiathar the priests. So these priests are actually in Jerusalem at this time. He sent them to be spies. And he says, ask the elders of Judah, why should you be the last to bring the king back to his palace? Since what was being said throughout Israel has reached the king at his quarters. You are my relatives, my own flesh and blood, so why should you be the last to bring the king back? So this is like in today, yesterday, when Nikki Haley didn't win in her own home state, what message did that send to the rest of the nation? So David's saying, I don't have my own people, I don't have my own state behind me, what message does that send to Israel? So he has to speak. He's like, I, I, I just can't help it. And sometimes David does a really great job of, of I'm going to leave this in the Lord's hands. But other times he's like, I'm going to help control the narrative. Who knows it's better if we let God be God? Because we make mistakes and he makes a mistake here in this next verse. He says, and say to Amasa, Amasa was the commander of the army against David, but he's also a family member. He says, are you not my own flesh and blood? May God deal with me, be it ever so severely, if you are not the commander of my own army for my life in place of Joab. So he kicks Joab under the bus, probably because he killed his son. Maybe because of how harsh his words were. Maybe he's just, he's always in scripture annoyed 
at the sons of Zeruiah. He just he can't stand Abishai and Joab. But but him doing that is actually gonna Amasa is gonna get killed by Joab because of that. He David didn't think that through. So verse 14 says, He won over the hearts of the men of Judah so that they were of one mind, and they sent word to the king, saying, Return you and all your men. And the king returned and went as far as the Jordan. Now the men of Judah had come to Gagal to go out and meet the king and bring him across the Jordan. So this is, this is a picture of, David being the shadow king of Jesus, the return of the king. Who knows Jesus is king, but he's coming back one day to rule, to govern. He's not coming back with peace but a sword to those who don't follow him. David wasn't able to put his son to the sword. He wasn't able to put unloyal subjects who was bringing danger against the rest of the nation because it was his son. His heart, he was, his heart was torn. But another thing is that, a contrast David to the king, David was unable to minister in overwhelming time. He couldn't minister to the men when he was going through it. But Jesus was able to minister. Being the son of David, the king of kings and lord of lords, when they nailed him to the cross and nailed his feet, the weight would actually crush the lungs. And to speak or to breathe... Jesus would have had to have pulled himself up on the nails and push his feet against the nail to speak. And he does that in the moment he pulls himself up and he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He says, have grace. And he ministers. Even the thief on the cross says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus pulling himself up says, today you'll be with me in paradise. He was able to do in extreme anguish what David wasn't able to do. Just pointing to Jesus. David had to speak. He had to talk. He, I've got to control the narrative. Let's, I know how to do this. Let's, let's push Joab out of the position that we have him in so that I can get the kingdom back. But Jesus went like a lamb into the shearing, like a sheep. He went silently, Isaiah 53 says, that he didn't speak even though he had complete authority to stop what was happening in just a moment. Instead, he allowed it to happen. They accused him and he remained silent. They questioned him and he remained silent. But he had all power and all authority to say, angels come down and kill everybody. But instead, he had so much self-control. Why? Because he loves you and he loves me. David wasn't able to love the army like he should love, but Jesus was able to love us while we were enemies of him. 
And something mind-boggling to me is how God already knows those who aren't going to be saved, but he still loves them, and he still died on the cross for them because the sins of the whole world went to the spot at Calvary at one moment in time so that we all might know, so everyone could have a chance at least. I know I'm passionate, but it's real. Jesus died for you and for me. He did that. He took, he took what we couldn't take. He lived how we couldn't live. We all have to accept the return of the king of the relationship with God in our life. And that does not mean that we can live however we want. We can watch whatever we want. We can be with whoever we want. We have to fully subject ourselves to the king. David couldn't die for his son Absalom, but Jesus could die for us. And my question to every heart today is, do you have something in front of Jesus? Because he says, unlike David, David couldn't put the kingdom before his own son. Jesus said in Matthew 10 that if, if anyone loved their father or more than me, they're not worthy of me. And if they love their son or daughter more than me, they're not worthy of me. We cannot put our kids on a pedestal or our relationships on a pedestal and give in to some things because we don't want to harm feelings and we don't want to lose that relationship. No, we have to be most worried about the relationship with heaven. Where's your heart today? Would you lay everything else down if Jesus came back right now and let your heart be with the king? Remember that song, The Goodness of God? He's good. He has a good plan for you, not to harm you, but to give you a hope and a future. The challenge for us as Americans is to put ourselves before Jesus by what we want, what we have, the commodities that we get to enjoy, the vehicles, the homes. We have to remember that even if we lose all of this stuff, if our bank accounts are frozen because we're Christians, that's okay because this isn't our home. We're citizens of heaven. Amen, everybody? Would you all we're encouraged by today's talk. Be sure to rate us, share with a friend, and hit subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you stream your podcasts. Our mission is simple. Come to life, connect to grow, find your purpose, make a difference. Thanks for listening to the Life Church Podcast.